All right, guys, we're in Lesson 8. Here's what we're going to do. We've got one more lesson after this. We're going to talk about world religions next week. And I'm, I'm, I want to kind of distinguish today by talking about Christian cults, because I, I, I want to help uh, with informing you guys. When we talk about Christian cults, we're talking about cults that came out of Christianity. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. When we talk about world religions, that's a completely different topic. We're talking about religions that started in different places. They may be older than Christianity, okay? And their belief systems are completely different. So when you hear people say things like this, okay? Well, it doesn't matter what you believe, we're all going to make it. That's a stupid statement, okay? Here's another stupid statement. They all believe the same things. Well, probably they have similar moral codes, but as far as beliefs about God or salvation or whatever, that's completely different. We're going to see that next week. But let me give you some general observations. We're going to talk about Christian cults today. We're only going to focus on three of them, but I want to give you some general observations, first of all. Number one, historically there have been many cults that have arisen out of Christianity. This is not a new phenomenon. This is not a phenomenon that is just new to Christianity in America. Historically, from the very beginning, there have been cults that have arisen out of Christianity. Okay, so the danger of that is going to be very evident. In fact, the Bible very clearly, when he talks about false teachers, Paul will say some things, or Peter will say, like, they were among us, or they came out from among us. Okay, so it's, it happens. All right, there is that danger of cults happening around us. Now, these cults have emerged around the false teaching of a central figure. Now, when you look at these cults, we're going to look at three of them in particular, you're going to find that it didn't just emerge on its own. It was usually one guy or one gal who maybe was charismatic in their personality. Now, when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about charismatic in the sense of a type of church, but I'm talking about their persona, okay? Because you can have somebody who's very charismatic, you know, and they just attract people, okay? So we're talking about people that they're central figures and people start to listen to them, start to buy into what they're saying, all right? In fact, let me just go ahead and tell you this. The reason why they buy into what they're saying, okay, is because they don't know the Bible themselves. They don't study the Bible themselves. So, for instance, does anybody have any idea what is the largest, what what is the most, among the Mormons, what is the Christian denomination that has the most people convert to Mormonism. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, Denny. Nah, not Amish. Okay. Now, nah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Denny. I'm sorry, I just had to laugh. And that's not what I was expecting. Okay. <laughs> We're going to see that that's not true. Okay. Uh, Baptist. The supposed people of the Bible are the number one group in Protestantism to convert to Mormonism. Isn't that interesting? Supposedly people who know the Bible convert to Mormonism. Now, we're going to see why here in a moment, okay? So they're usually around a central figure. Most adherents are sincerely seeking. Now, you want to put a star by this one. Even though they're deceived, 
most of the people who are in these cults are not whacked out, whack jobs, weird, crazy nuts or whatever, who, uh, who, who don't have their act together. They're deceived. Do you understand? The God of this world is deceiving them. And so when they're in these, when they're in these religions, especially if they're first generation, they're sincerely seeking something. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They're sincere in their search, although they're misguided and they're deceived. So, I mean, we've got to grasp that. Okay, so it's not like, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're a whack job and we got to, you know, so, most adherents, so, so think about that. Even if the guy comes and knocks on your door. And our initial response through the years has been, if somebody comes knocking on your door and they belong to another religion, what are we supposed to do? Slam the door in their face, right? Okay. That's not a proper thing. All right? I'm going to tell you about that in a moment as well. So, here, most cults focus on a works-oriented system. It's not a grace-oriented system. You know, Christianity is a grace-oriented system, the forgiveness of Christ. Most cults are a works-oriented system. You've got to do things in order to attain salvation, whatever that might be for that group. Some cults deny the Trinity, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, one God in three persons. They deny the Trinity or they deny the deity of Christ. Now, the Mormons would not deny the deity of Christ. They would just have a different definition of what that deity is. Okay? So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to plug away. I've got, we got a lot to go through. I chose three specific ones that are prominent in our area. Okay? There are many more. There are many more that are emerging every day. Okay? So, we're going to talk about, first of all, Mormons. Their proper name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay? That's their proper name. So if you've maybe seen this really nice commercial on the news, I mean on TV, that's talking about family values and everything, and you're like, wow, that's a good commercial. And then at the end it says, brought to you by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Folks, that's a Mormon commercial. That's the Mormons. And see, this is the reason why Baptists who don't have any understanding biblically are attracted to them. Okay? We'll talk about that a little bit further in a moment. As far as what, what percentage of the population is Mormon? About 1.7% of Americans claim to be Mormon. 1.7% claim to be Mormon. So 1.7%. Now, in Clearfield County, now this is interesting, among those who attend church in Clearfield County, 1% are Mormon. So it's a lower percentage here. In fact, can I, how many of you, you may not be aware of this, but about two years ago there was a report that the Mormon church wanted to double its efforts in our section of PA into Western PA. Did you know why? Anybody know why they wanted to double their efforts with their missionaries and so forth? Yeah, you're right. That's close. Because we're so resistant. People in our area 
don't want to convert to Mormonism as readily as in other areas. So they're doubling their efforts. Well, I can already tell you that's a demographic issue right here. Why? Because in, in PA, in our section of PA, we tend to be very traditional, very clan-oriented, and church is part of our clans. Our identity in our clans has to do with what church we go to. Okay? And, in fact, like, okay, I, one of my friends here, I won't point him out, was telling me about a neighbor, okay, who said, what cult are you going to? Even though our church has been here since 1939. Because it wasn't a Methodist church, or a Presbyterian church, or Episcopal church. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's a mentality in our area. So thankfully, we have that mentality in our area, because this, this you know, there's only 1% of them here, which is good, okay? But we still have some among us, all right? Now, here's what I want you to see. The church was established on April the 6th, 1830, in Fayette, New York, which is called the Burnover District. It was formed there by a fellow by the name of Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith was a somewhat illiterate man, although he could write. He was somewhat illiterate. His grammar was poor. Um, in fact, that's reflected in his writings. He had very poor grammar. He, um, he founded the church then. So it wasn't in Utah. So let me just stop for a moment. The Mormons didn't start in Utah, folks. The Mormons started in New York. In fact, there is stories that, uh, even closer, how many have been to Cherry Tree here? Okay. There's stories that Joseph Smith came to Cherry Tree looking for gold tablets. Okay. Supposedly, there, you know, he was looking for them. He was into the witching thing. Does everybody understand what witching is? That's the, something to do, I mean, it's not a, it's not a spiritual thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or a demonic thing. It's just something to do with how people find water. Okay, has to do with body chemistry and so forth. And he was into that, and he was looking for gold tablets, and that was in our area. So he was up in Fayette, New York, which is called the Burnover District. Now, why is it called the Burnover District? Well, because in that area is when there was an evangelist by the name of Charles G. Finney who had revivals there, okay, and they called it Burned Over because of the Holy Spirit burning over the district or whatever. But isn't that interesting? So here's an area that experienced revival, and out of that area comes a cult. Okay? So let me just go on now. Smith is said to have been visited by the angel Morani, who revealed to him the location of the golden tablets. Okay? The angel Morani came to him and revealed to him where the golden tablets are, the the golden tablets. They revealed them to him. And, And supposedly he could read them. They were in some kind of Egyptian characters. Now, here's a man who's illiterate, somewhat can't, you know, his grammar's poor, and he's able to read and understand Egyptian, okay? So, um, now, the, now some of you are saying, like, when you talk to a Mormon, don't deny that he got visited by an angel. That's not the proper thing to do. Because I believe he did get visited by an angel, Okay? What do you mean? Yes, that's exactly right. I believe you got visited by a demon. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, don't deny that he didn't, I mean, even with like, uh, supposedly Muhammad was visited by an angel. I believe very strongly he got visited by an angel. 
but by a demon. Do you understand? Demons are fallen angels. All right, let's go on. The Book of Mormon, okay, is the supposed faithful rendering of the tablets. The Book of Mormon is the supposed faithful rendering of the tablets. Now, let's go on now. Smith, here's the problem with Smith. From the very beginning, he had a secret doctrine that he only told a few folks in his circle, and that was polygamy. Okay? Everybody knows that Mormonism, polygamy is a big part. In fact, Joseph Smith is supposed to have had 42 wives, some of which were the wives of some of his leaders in his group. Okay? Uh, so he, was, he obviously had a sex problem. They moved from, they were forced out of areas. You have to understand, when you talk about Mormonism, they were forced out of areas, like they were forced out of New York, went to Illinois. While they're in Illinois, you know, this doctrine of polygamy came out. The, the crowds, this is why I'm saying we've got to be careful how we react, okay? He was being arrested for some of his shenanigans, and he was in jail, and a mob rose up, a lynch mob rose up, that was pretty upset about its teaching and the polygamy issue, and they broke into the jail and killed him, shot him dead. Okay, So he went from a leader of a group to now a martyr. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he kind of solidified where Mormonism was at. He was not just somebody who would ultimately fall into disrepute, but he became a martyr. Now, let's go on here. Uh, let me back up. Okay, the Mormonism split into 25 different groups. So when you read, okay, like how many remember in the news about the the, uh, the prophet uh, Jeffers with a splinter group of the Mormons who was having uh, sex with teenage girls? He's in jail now. Do you remember that? Okay. That is a splinter group. This is one of those 25 groups that came out of Mormonism. So there were 25 groups there were two prominent groups, okay? The most prominent group was led by Brigham Young, which migrated to what is now the state of Utah. That's the one that we think of when we think of Mormonism. That's the group that was led by Brigham Young. In fact, there's a university in Utah named after him, right? Brigham Young. I think there was a quarterback years ago. Remember the, the Chicago Bears Super Bowl team, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears? I'm trying to think of what his name was. Huh? Jim, yeah. He went. He was a quarterback for Brigham Young. No, he was a partier. Think about that. He's a partier at Brigham Young, okay? That's what's ironic about it, okay? So anyhow, that was the one prominent group. The other prominent group uh, was the, the Joseph group which felt that the only the son, a son or a direct heir of Joseph Smith could be the prophet of the group. Okay? But you have to understand, the most prominent group is the one that was led by Brigham Young then. So you have all these splinter groups. Okay? All these splinter groups. And it all has to do with who the prophet is. Okay? It all has to do with who the prophet is. Now... They are a homegrown movement that incorporates, now here's why they trip people up. They're a homegrown movement. They're basically U.S.-centered. They incorporate American values, self-reliance, progress, and democracy. Those are the, those, that's what the Mormons are promoting. 
outwardly. And so they, they definitely promote self-reliance, values, and democracy. Okay? And so this is why, okay, this is why Baptist would be tripped up by that, because those are the kinds of things that you see in a Baptist church. You know, except in the Mormon church, they really focus on family. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that who's promoting it? All right, here's the thing. Polygamy started out as a secret doctrine of Smith. Whether they point, say this to you or not, it is an integral part of their doctrine. Polygamy is an integral part of their doctrine. Even though, see, they were forced by the federal government in the late 1800s to give up polygamy. Do you realize that? You may not know that. They didn't willingly give it up themselves. They were forced to. All right? And, and so it, it is said very much that polygamy still exists and has always existed in the Mormon church. They just aren't outward about it because of laws, federal laws and so forth. But it is very much an integral part of their spiritual beliefs. Okay? Let's go on. Uh, here's how they view God. God the Father has a body of flesh and bone. We know God as a spirit. They see God as a as a as having a body of uh, flesh and bone. Here's the other thing. I can't really get into all because of our time. I can't get into all the intricate details. Jesus and Satan are brothers. Now what they they believe is is they had to come up with their own system of salvation and Jesus is the one who won out. Okay? So Let's go on. They deny that they deny that man is justified by faith alone. It's an evil to them. So the issue of grace, that you are justified by your faith alone, that you are saved by your faith alone, that is an evil to them. They deny that. Again, so you're talking about a works-oriented system. You have to have certain things happen. Okay? Baptism plays into that. So, okay, so like you hear, remember during the election, you know, the Jewish groups were upset because there were Jews, dead Jews, who were being baptized for? They, this is why the Mormons are so into genealogy. How many of you knew that the Mormons were into genealogy? They are big time into genealogy. They go back and they can trace who belongs to who. And the reason why is it has to do with their baptism. Because they are, because in the Mormon church, they have a practice of bat, being baptized for the dead. Did you understand what I'm saying? You would be baptized for some dead ancestor somewhere. Okay? So, uh, that's a practice among them. Here's their fundamental belief. They fundamentally believe that man will become a god. In fact, here's what they say. They say, just as God was, man is. Just as God became, man will become. That type of thinking. You and I will become gods. They believe that. Okay? So so it's kind of unusual, but it comes out of, you understand, centered out of a man who was illiterate somewhat. Okay? Now here's the other thing I want to point out to you. They interpret the Book of Mormon and the Bible based upon what the current prophet says. 
you understand what I'm saying? They interpret the Book of Mormon and the Bible based upon what the current prophet says. So, for instance, for years, they believed that black men had no soul. Okay? That changed in the mid-80s. Yeah, Bruce. Yes, God the Father, but he has flesh and bone. I don't, I, you know, that part of it I don't know, because I'm, I'm, I'm just doing a brief, you know, I, I'm not sitting around studying Mormonism, okay? So, yeah, Steve. Well, I think there is a, there is a, a, a Mormon church in Dubois. There's one in Indiana, okay? Now, when they come in and build one, they don't have to raise the money for it. You know, it's not like when we want to build a building, we've got to raise money for it, we've got to sweat, we've got to... When they come in, they build the building. They have it exactly what they're going to build. They're pretty much all the same. And they build the money, and it's built. Do you understand? It is nice. I've been in one. It is a nice facility. Okay? The, the baptismal is a central thing in their church. Because people are being baptized there all the time for, other, for dead people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, okay. All right, let's move on to the next group, Okay? Jehovah Witnesses, about 0.7% of Americans claim to be Jehovah Witness. Now, when I looked at our county, there are no statistics in our county. And I'm not surprised by that. Because there used to be a kingdom hall in Clearfield. Everybody know where that is? Yeah, it's over down there near where the Clearfield paper is and wholesale paper and stuff. It, they, they no longer exist. It, their, their kingdom hall is shut down. So the number of Je- so they don't have enough Jehovah Witnesses in the area here to have a kingdom hall. Okay. So here's what it says. The group started was started by a fellow by the name of Charles Taz Russell. In fact, Jehovah Witnesses have been referred to by some Christians as Russellites. How many of you have heard that term, Russellites? Okay, some, okay, you have it. But that's what they, you know, some people refer to them as Russellites. They started out as the Watchtower Group or the Watchtower Track Company. They didn't assume the name Jehovah Witnesses until about 1936. Okay? When did they start? The group grew out of a Bible study led by Russell in Pittsburgh in 1870. Wow, isn't that interesting? Pittsburgh's on the map now. That's where the Jehovah Witnesses started. Okay? The group grew out of a Bible study. So here's a guy who led a Bible study. So again, he's out of a church. Here's this guy. He's studying the Bible for himself. And the group started with him. They don't have a well-defined theology. And and they frequently changed their teaching. So they, they don't have a well-defined theology, and they frequently change their teaching. So at first, like for instance, let's talk about their Bible. They have a Bible that's called the New World Translation. That's their Bible. But when the group first started out, they first started out using the King James. That was the prominent Bible that a Jehovah Witness would use. They decided to get away from the King James and come up with their own translation, which was the New World Translation. Anybody know why? 
Well, the problem was is that Christians were showing them from the King James the problem with their theology, in particular with the person of Jesus. So when they did their own translation, they had to change some of the verses to reflect their theology. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, so let's go on. So here's the thing. They deny the orthodox teaching about the person and work of Christ. So they would deny that Jesus is God. They would deny that he is a part of the Trinity. They would deny the Trinity. Do you understand what I'm saying? They would deny that he died a substitutionary death for you. So they would deny every aspect of what you believe concerning your salvation. Did I see your hand? Who had a hand? Rob. Yes, they believe there's 144,000, that only 100, that, that the 144,000, everybody else would be annihilated. Okay, so let me, let me, we'll go on here. They believe that about 100, but there are more than 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses. Okay? But they have a, a way of explaining that, that there are only, I think I read somewhere that there are only 9,000 of these 144,000 in existence today. So every other Jehovah Witness understands that and has to come to grips with that, okay? Well, we're going to see some things here in a moment, okay? They are more likely to change their religious affiliation. All right, so let me just stop for a moment. The JWs are the ones who come by, and they're the ones who are more prominent in knocking on your door. Okay? Folks, these, they're sincerely seeking something, but they're seeking it wrong. This group happens to be the one group that will more than likely change what they believe. The problem is they don't have anybody to sit down with them and show them what the Bible says. I mean, they read their Bibles... And, and they're told by their leaders what to, to look at and how to answer. But if you take them somewhere where they're not trained to look at, they don't know how to respond to you. Well, I never knew that. I never saw that. Okay? So, uh, you, you just, you just need to be aware of that. Okay? Here's the new Bible was based upon what they felt. See, even if you use their Bible, you can show them things, like that. You know, they would believe that Jesus was like an angel. Okay. Well, you know, there's some places you can go to and point out to them. Oh yeah, they have they have all the books. You can go and show them different things that they didn't catch earlier. Did you understand? And throw them off. Not throw them off, but enlighten them would be a better way. Okay. All right. So. They believe that, you know, you're going to be annihilated. Everybody else is going to be annihilated. So they believe in annihilationism, okay? So anybody got questions about JWs? Yes. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the one in Clearfield's not there anymore. But. That is part of their tenets that they have to go around and do that. Uh, that's no, bro, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? It's not that this area is so popular. It is that they do it. I remember Lori and I and her parents got off an airplane in Kenya, East Africa. And this happened two different times. First time when I went to Africa, I was teaching in a little Bible school on, a, on, a, on, the, on the property there. 
and the Jehovah Witnesses came to the property to share. Okay, when we got off the airplane in Kenya in 1994, we just got to the missionary's house. We're just relaxing, and there's a knock at the door. It's JWs. Okay, so it's everywhere. All right. Here's the thing. They are told that you're going to slam the door at them. In fact, it feeds their persona that they're suffering for their faith. You understand that you are you when you do that, when you are being rude and nasty to them, you're only confirming that what they believe is true because they're already told that they're going to suffer for their faith. Yes, two, yes, they do that. Yep, they're young men. And you notice it's always young men. Two together, and they'll have the nice little blue badge on, okay? You know, you'll see them with the white shirts, you know. Uh, but they're not, they're not, we, Well, there's, you know, they come in areas. Do you understand what I'm saying? They send their missionaries out to do that, okay? So I don't know exactly what their strategy is, okay? Uh, it's not working well, okay? So, um, you know, in fact, when I was in Kenya in 1989, we were in a bank. I was exchanging American money for Kenyan money. And I was there with a missionary who had been there for 30 years. And we struck up a conversation with this other white couple. I mean, you know, if you're white, you're going to talk to another white guy in Africa, okay? And um, here they were Mormon missionaries, and they had just come to the country. And here's what they said. We're not, we don't know why we didn't come here any sooner. And the old missionary, old Baptist missionary I'm with was under his breath saying, that's because your prophet didn't say black men had a soul until just a couple of years ago. You know, <laughs> that's why you weren't here sooner. You know, do you know what I'm saying? So how they, with Mormons, how they view what they believe, it's based upon what the prophet says. With this group, it's changing. Their theology changes, okay? And they're more likely to change their religious affiliation. Yeah, they have another problem right now. It has to do with sex abuse. That's another group right now which is struggling with the sex abuse issue. Uh, have you ever been to seen a Kingdom Hall? Is there any windows in a Kingdom Hall? You ever, no, there are no windows in a Kingdom Hall. Uh, sexual abuse of children is becoming a prominent issue now. It's in, it's in a lot of the religious publications that I'm reading. Lawsuits are happening. Okay? That's happening among that group. So, yeah, they've got some major issues. Okay? Major issues. All right, here's the other one. Seventh-day Adventists. How many of you know about Seventh-day Adventists? How many have a friend who's a Seventh-day Adventist? Okay? Not many, but they are around. Here, this group was started by William Miller, who predicted that Jesus would return in October 10th, 1843. Somewhere in New England, I think it was Connecticut, he predicted that Jesus Christ would return in 1843. Sounds familiar, huh? Okay, guys making prediction. Here's what they did. This sounds familiar too. Folks got in white robes on 1843. They went up on a hill to wait for Jesus to come back. While they were up there, a thunderstorm came. <laughs> and lightning flew. And obviously Jesus didn't come back. Okay? He made a second prediction for the next year. 
This happens a lot as well. October 22nd, 1844. Obviously, we're still here. Jesus did not come back. Okay? However, that's not what the Adventists would say. He acknowledged his error. Thankfully, Miller was smart enough to acknowledge his error, and he expressed his regret. Okay? He acknowledged his error, and he expressed his regret. Sort of like what Camping did here recently, after six predictions. Okay? So, now, but what happened is, is here's what's this, so you would have thought this would have ended it, but it didn't. First of all, he would later renounce the teachings of the group, the later teachings of the group. Miller would later... Would, would, would renounce the later teachings of the group. Okay, so even he realized that what was going to happen was whacked out. Okay? So here's what happened. From the remaining followers of Miller, after 1844, a group emerged, and there was a lady by the name of Ellen G. White who emerged as a prophetess. Now, Ellen G. White is their most prominent teacher, and and a lot of their teachings are based upon her visions and teaching. Okay, Her visions and teaching are foundational to the group. Now, here's the problem, though. Two Adventist doctors, Adventists are known for starting hospitals everywhere. How many of you know that? Okay, like I know there's an Adventist hospital in Germany and so forth. They're very prominent in that. Two of the Adventist doctors said that she had a degenerative brain disease. So this is so they they questioned her how sane she was. Okay? So she's the prominent teacher here. Okay? She would later renounce Miller. Of course Miller renounced her. Do you understand what I'm saying? She would later renounce Miller. They have four um, four key doctrines that we'll talk about here, okay? Um, they believe in the doctrine of soul sleep between death and the resurrection. They, they have this elaborate view that when you die, we believe that when you die, absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord is what the apostle says. They believe that when you die, you go into a soul sleep until the resurrection, okay? So they believe in a doctrine of the soul sleep. Here's the other thing. They believe that the wicked, here's another group, the wicked will be annihilated. So the the wicked will just cease to exist. All right? Here's the thing that really is dangerous about them. They do not believe that Christ made atonement for sins on the cross. Well, where, Where do they believe that he did that? Well, here's what Ellen White believed. Okay, let me break out here my notes. Uh, and in order to explain uh, why, this goes back to the failure of Christ to return in 1844. In order to explain that, Ellen White proclaimed that Christ entered the heavenly sanctuary to cleanse it from sin. Okay? This heavenly sanctuary was made up of two compartments, the holy place and the holy of holies. So for the first 18 centuries since the cross, okay, you ready for this? All right. Jesus had been pleading on behalf of penitent sinners, but their sins remained on the book of record. So for the first 18 centuries since his death, you know, 
Jesus was just there pleading for, for sinners, penitent sinners, but their sins remained. Okay? While Adventists believe that the blood of Christ secures their pardon and acceptance with the Father, they believe their sins will still remain on the book of record. They, they believe that Christ did not make atonement when his, when his blood was shed on the cross. They believe that while the blood of Christ removed the penalty, it does not cancel sin. This must take place later when the final payment is made. So here's what she proclaimed. White proclaimed that, that Christ began his work of completing his atonement in the inner sanctuary in 1844. When he cleansed the sanctuary from sin. So think about that. She's saying that the sanctuary in heaven had to be cleansed from sin. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Let's go on. He did this by investigating the life books of every person who ever lived, blotting out the sins of those who were saved through the blood of Christ. Adventists believe that Satan is the scapegoat on whom the sins of mankind were placed. Satan, to the Adventist, is the sin-bearer. All right, let's stop there for a moment. Who's the sin-bearer, folks, that we believe? Yeah, our sin was placed on Christ when he went on the cross. Do you understand? Adventists don't believe that. They believe he was a scapegoat. It was placed on him. Do you understand? This is serious, bad teaching concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. Why proclaimed that uh, Ellen White proclaimed that when Christ entered the heavenly sanctuary, the door was closed. This signified that only those who accepted the doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventists would be saved. So, folks, we're going to be annihilated. Okay? They see a difference between forgiveness and the blotting out of sins. For us, it's the same thing. How many of you would agree with this statement? When Jesus forgives my sin, he removes my penalty, and it's remembered no more. We would, you would agree with that, right? That is not what an Adventist believes. You're talking about a lady who had visions, who two doctors from her own group said she had a degenerative brain disease. I understand it doesn't have to make sense if you're deceived by the enemy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? They believe that Jesus Christ inherited a sin nature, okay? So that's, that's what they believe about Christ. That's pretty weird, all right? Sunday worship, here's another one. They worship on Saturday. Sunday worship is seen as an evil. In fact, Ellen White said it was the mark of the beast, Okay? Sunday worship was the mark of the beast. They emphasized the Sabbath. Does everybody understand the Sabbath is Saturday? Okay? So they emphasized Saturday worship. Sunday worship was seen as the mark of the beast. They viewed, here's what Alan White said, the Antichrist was the first pope who instituted Sunday worship, and the beast, the, the, the second beast, was the American government for instituting Sunday laws. You remember the blue laws that used to be there? That was especially prominent during her time, and she saw that as being evil. All right? Let's go on now. They also emphasize Old Testament food laws. Adventists don't eat pork. They don't love bacon. Okay? 
So you bacon eaters here, you're going to hell. Okay? Now let me just stop for a moment. This is an important point about cults. Not just with this one, but with most of them. Remember now, they're, they're oriented to a works-oriented system. They usually start out of somebody who comes out of a Christian church. Their stumbling block, the, and, and the letters of Paul tell us this, their stumbling block is they get hooked up into the Old Testament laws. So they try to tell you things like, don't eat this way, or, or so forth. Do you, do you understand? You've got to go back to what the Bible says. Well, Scripture very clear. Paul says, Whatever God gives you, give thanks for and eat it. It came from Him. Okay? So don't worry about that pork chop you're going to eat later on. Okay? They emphasize the Old Testament food laws. Here's some things to consider. I'm going to just give you a few things to consider when you're dealing with these folks. Okay? First of all, treat people with respect. Here's an added reason why you do it with some of these folks. If you treat them with no respect and you are mean and ugly with them, which is what we've been taught to do, you're just further substantiating what they believe because they're told that that's going to happen. There's a, there's a polite way. Like when they come to my door, I'm not mean. It's like, I just say to them, you know what, I don't have time to talk to you about this, guys. I don't necessarily believe that. And I close the door quietly. Okay? Because it's going to take time to talk to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you treat people with respect. Because you might be here and saying, well, that's great, George, that they're seeking, but I don't know that I'm ready to talk to them. Then don't talk to them. But treat them with respect. Okay? Here's the other thing. Although they are misguided and deceived, some are sincerely seeking. I'll never forget this testimony. It was from a lady in our church in Canada. She talked to the JWs when, they, when she came to the door. She was solid in her faith. And she remembers this lady who came to her door. And they were talking. And so she asked her, how did you get into Jehovah Witnesses? Well, she said she lived down in Toronto. And she went to a Baptist church. And she went in there. And, and, and the people were kind of cool. Sounds like a Baptist church. And uh, so they kind of sat, she sat down, and the preacher got up, and he gave a message. He said it was a good message, but he said something very interesting. He says, I notice that people are not sitting where they're supposed to be today. And we need to realize that uh, people have their proper places here in church, and uh, make sure that you sit in the right place next time. So then when she left, the preacher's at the door. He didn't shake her hand. She came back the next week. Same announcement. At the door, the preacher said, you were sitting in someone's place. Here, she was seeking. That very next week, the JWs came knocked on her door. And they loved her and accepted her for who he was, she was, and she became a Jehovah Witness. See, there's, there are people who are sincerely seeking. Now, can I picture that happening in a Baptist church? You better believe it, I can. Because I'm a... I've been in a Baptist church, okay? Especially if you sit in a back seat. Now, there's all kinds of seats up front you can take. That's what we do. We force the visitors to come up front, don't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you just want to get easy access to get out of here, okay? All right, so although they are misguided to see if some are sincerely seeking, here's the other. Don't get into arguments. Man, don't get into arguments. It's not worth it. If you're going to have a, a discussion with them, it's okay. 
Like I had a professor in school. He was a missionary. He taught at Liberty for a long time. And his, he would talk to them. Here's what he would do. He'd say, hey, you know what? I got plenty of time. Come on in here. And, and let's hear, these are the arrangements. I'll give you 30 minutes to tell me everything you want to tell me. And I won't interrupt you if you give me 30 minutes for me to tell you everything I want to tell you if you don't interrupt me. And they would all agree. And so he would say, okay, you go ahead first. And they would tell him all their spiel and whatever. And he would say, okay, 30 minutes is up. And then he would launch into the gospel with them, showing them from the Bible. And they would try to interrupt him. He said, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute now. I thought we had an agreement. I didn't interrupt you. Oh, okay, all right. There are different ways you can do it, okay? But don't get into arguments. How many, how many of you have been convinced to do something because of an argument? doesn't work, does it? People don't like arguments, okay? Focus on what the Bible says. Here's the other thing. Focus on what the Bible says. Stay with your Bible. 